The dictionary entry goes like this. Jeremiah. Do you know that word? Jeremiah, a noun. From the late 18th century, French and ecclesiastical Latin. The definition, Jeremiah, a lamentation, a list of woes or complaints, a doleful tirade. You ever heard a Jeremiah before? Have you ever voiced a Jeremiah? You heard two fine examples of such lamentation this morning, a list of woes and complaints, some doleful tirades. In fact, you heard in that Old Testament reading from Jeremiah, perhaps the example of all examples of a great Jeremiah. Even the swallow knows its time. Why don't my people? They've forgotten how to blush. They have no shame. Doleful, isn't it? A lamentation. And if you're familiar with the rest of the book of Jeremiah, you'll know, of course, that his ministry was full of that kind of lamentation. It's no wonder that a list of woes or complaints gets named a Jeremiah after him, because that's often how the Spirit spoke through Jeremiah. But, but Jeremiah is not the only one. He doesn't have the market cornered. He's not the only one who knows how to lament. He deserves the title that the church has given him, the weeping prophet. But there is another Jeremiah, isn't there? There is a greater Jeremiah who weeps and laments and lists the woes and complaints, who has his own doleful tirade that you heard this morning. Jesus, too, knows how to voice a Jeremiah. Would that you, he says, even you, knew the things that make for peace. Our Lord Jesus weeps. When he sees the city of Jerusalem, that city whose name, Jerusalem, means the city of peace, Jesus weeps because, as he puts it, you knew not the time of your visitation. Jeremiah knew how to complain, and Jesus knows how to complain, and I have a feeling that most of you know how to complain, too. You might not ever call it voicing a Jeremiah, but you can after this morning. You heard the dictionary entry, right? And all of you, I'm going to go way out on a limb, are quite expert at Jeremiah's. You read the headlines. You read the same ones I read. You've lived through a doleful time. I hear Jeremiah's everywhere I turn these days. Everyone has a lament. Everyone has a list of woes. Everyone has a complaint, a doleful tirade. What do you do with that? How do you handle life as a Jeremiah? Remember that this morning. We'll come back to it. But first, notice how Jesus does it. Fraught with pain, fraught with grief, fraught with sorrow, our Lord wept over his own people, his kinsmen. What you heard this morning is kind of a strange juxtaposition, almost as strange as hearing Jeremiah's tirade and then hearing those little voices singing cantate domino, right? There is a strange juxtaposition there, such harsh words and then such happy voices. But when Jesus spoke these words of condemnation on Jerusalem, it was the day that we call Palm Sunday. Remember how he rode into Jerusalem and there was somewhat of a crowd surrounding him, praising him, saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But when Jesus saw the city, when he saw Jerusalem, he didn't praise it. The tears of Jesus 
this Jeremiah reveal something to us this morning. In fact, it's better to say they reveal two things. First, the tears of Jesus reveal the heart of our Lord. His great love for his people, after all, laments don't break forth from an uncaring heart. Right? If you don't really care about a thing, you don't get all bent out of shape when it goes wrong. But if your car breaks down, well, then the tirade comes out. If something that you love falls apart, gets disregarded, gets thrown away, that's when you raise a lamentation. And if you really loved the thing, that's when the tears come. This is what we see in Jesus this morning. The tears of Jesus show us his love. It is love that weeps. It is love that speaks. Would that you, even you, O Jerusalem, love even for those who hated him, who rejected him, and who would in just a short week be crucifying him. Note well your Lord Jesus. Note well the heart of the man of sorrows who is acquainted with grief, who is pained by sin, and pained by sinners, and who will be pierced not just with grief, but who will be pierced with nails to undo our sins. But his Jeremiah also reveals something of the city of Jerusalem, doesn't it? Jerusalem, I've told you, means the city of peace. That's what its Hebrew name means. And it had long been the capital city of God's people, the holy city, where the temple dwelled, and therefore where the Lord God dwelt as well. This goes all the way back to King David, some 1,000 years before Jesus. And Jeremiah, too, had lived in that city, Jerusalem, at the time when it was first destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. But, but the city had been rebuilt, right? And usually, if you go through such a harsh thing as Jerusalem went through, surely you learn your lesson. And so a new temple was made after Nebuchadnezzar came, came through. And surely the people of Jerusalem learned their lesson, right? Surely they knew why they were to be called Jerusalem, the city of peace, that they would find their peace in the Lord God. After all, it was the Jewish people who had the adoption. It was them who had the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the temple itself, and all of the promises. They are the ones who had the patriarchs. And from their race, according to the flesh, came Christ our Lord, who is God over all. But see, having all of that, having all of that history, and having those institutions didn't do them much good, did it? At least not if faith was absent. What happened to Jerusalem stands as a warning for the church. We are the new Jerusalem, right? We are the place where the city of peace is found. Not just political peace, not just economic peace, but peace with God and man. Glory to God in the highest, the angel sang, and peace to his people on earth. Notice well what happens to Jerusalem's whether they be the one long ago or even what might happen to us now, if we forget what really makes for peace. Jerusalem at the time of Jesus had become, if you will, a kind of museum. You've all been to museums, right? Museums are great. Museums are great if you want to see history. I love a good museum to be able to go in and look at all those displays underneath the plexiglass, to see some of the relics of the past, to be able to imagine what it might have been like to live in another place or in a different time. But you don't live in museums, do you? 
A museum is no place to actually take up residence. A museum is a place to visit and see what used to be. That is what Jerusalem had become at the time when Jesus rode in there. It was dead. And such was Jerusalem and the majority of the Jewish people at the time of Christ's weeping over them. They had all the stuff, but it wasn't alive in them. They had it all, but they knew not the things that made for peace. You want to know what it would have been like? It would be like, imagine this. Imagine on the last day when you're raised up from the dead and Jesus is standing in front of you and he says, come with me. And you say, no, actually, I need to go to St. Paul Lutheran Church. That's where I belong. That's what it was like at that time. The temple, the prophets, the promises, all of it had pointed forward to the day when Christ himself would come. And then there he was. And the people said, no, we prefer the old things. We'd rather have it the old way. We want our temple and we want our rabbis and we want all those other things, not you, Jesus. They knew him not, who was the giver of peace, Jerusalem's true king. They had become a dead museum. Jesus puts it this way, they knew not the time of their visitation. Now that word that he uses there, the time, is a significant word in the Bible. The Greek word is kairos, and it means not just that they didn't know what day it was on the calendar, that's chronos time, chronological time. When Jesus says they knew not the time, it means they didn't know what season it was. They didn't know that it was the time of fulfillment, that then and there was the day of salvation. It was the time of harvest but they were still inside, thinking it was time to plant seeds. The Lord of all was there in the flesh to give peace in all of its fullness, not just rest from their enemies, not just healing from illnesses, not just relief from droughts and famines and enemies, but peace between God and men. But they said, no thanks, we'd rather not. And so Jesus wept over them. Jesus wept and he prophesied of a destruction that would come upon that great city some 40 years later. It was still in his future, but it's in our past. In the year 70, you can read about this in the history books if you want, the Romans came through and they did just what Jesus said they would do. They ripped the city apart and everyone who was there perished in a terrible way. Not one stone was left Upon another, God's grievous judgment on a people who knew not the time of their visitation. There is a warning for us in this passage, isn't there? If the city of Jerusalem, that city of peace, was not immune from such falling away, do we think that we are? Now is your acceptable time. Now is the kairos, the opportune time of salvation. Don't put it off. Don't put off till tomorrow or next week or next month what the Lord says to do now. To turn to him with all of your complaints. To bring him all of your lamentations. To bring him your sins that he might bear them all away from you and absolve you with his freely given grace. Now is the time. There was a great preacher who put it this way once. He said, tomorrow is the devil's day because it never comes. Now, today is the Lord's day. That is the kind of urgency that we must have, dear friends. 
Do you have sins that you know in your mind? Do you have sins that you are actively engaged with? Put them off. Now is the time. Now is the time where you will find grace for all of your woes. Now is the time to run to the Lord Jesus, to learn his saving name, to praise the glorious one who came to save sinners. Now is the time. Tomorrow is the devil's day, and it never comes. But today, now, is the Lord's day. Mark well how our Lord weeps, how he laments, and see in his lamentation the kind of urgency that our Lord Jesus has to save us. But I want to also draw your attention to what Jesus does with all of that weeping and grief. What does he do with his lament? Remember, I asked you that question earlier. What do you do when the world around you seems like it's full of Jeremiads, full of laments? Does it swallow Jesus up and paralyze him when he sees this terrible situation? Or do not his tears and his grief turn to a holy and zealous fire within him? If you look around the world, and you look at the state of our nation, you look at the state of our families, you look at the state of our church, does it not move you to weep at least one small tear? Do you think Jesus looks at our country and says, boy, they're doing great. They've got it all figured out. Do you think he looks into our homes and says, what a wonderful place. I wish I could be there. Do you think he looks at the state of the Christian church even now and says, they've got it all figured out. Everything is running along smoothly. Surely our Lord would weep if he were here. If we could see him, he would be weeping over us. And surely we all weep when we see these things, don't we? And what is the temptation when you see everything falling apart all around you? What's the temptation? To just throw your hands up in the air and say, well, it's not even worth it. Why bother? Right? But what does Jesus do? Yes, he is grieved to his heart when he sees the city of Jerusalem, but he doesn't just ride off into a corner and say, oh, well, he rides into the city. He clears out that temple and he preaches his word in that place, even though he's just got done saying it's going to be ripped apart. For with Christ, note this well, with Christ, there is always hope. He's just got done saying that the whole thing is going to turn into ruins. But what does he do? He goes in and builds among the ruins. He builds a new temple in the place where the old temple will fall. He preaches his word to his people, and there he erects the temple that you are part of, the temple of the Holy Spirit. For now, Christ Jesus is not building a physical temple any longer. No, now he is building a living temple a living temple where you are the stones, where you are the pillars, where you are the beams. His word preached to you even now is the thing that endures when everything else falls apart. So yes, weep and lament when you see the state of things around you, but never lose heart. For with Christ, there is always hope. With Christ, there is always hope. I don't know what's going to happen to our country. I don't know what's going to happen to our church in 10, 20, 30 years. But I know this. Christ has put us here now for this time so that his word would resound in our ears, in our children's ears, and in the ears of all who come into this place. And who knows? Who knows what he might raise up, right? Who knows how things might turn around? Who knows how things may change? What do you do when you feel like Jeremiah? You weep. And you lament, but you also live in hope. 
For with Christ Jesus, there is always hope. To him be the glory now and always. Amen. Rise